Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. Amen. If you would stand to your feet and uh, grab your Bibles or your devices. Amen. And uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy. Chapter six. Amen. When you have it, won't you say I've got it? you're still looking don't worry we brought a bible to you it is on the screen the screens are working right amen my monitor is not working so i got i got to ask in the holy ghost amen first timothy chapter six beginning at verse number six hear the word of the lord it says but godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment for we have brought nothing into the world so we can take we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10 says, for the love of money, everyone say the love of money, is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Amen. Verse 10 says, for the love of money, someone say the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Everybody say evil. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Deliver us from evil. Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Paul says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Amen. Deliver us from evil. For the next few weeks, we're going to be in a series entitled oh my god oh my god and uh, we're studying how we can make god the lord of our lives how we can give god the position that he deserves in every one of our lives amen are y'all gonna pray with me amen i'm going to uh do my best now let me let me give this disclaimer uh, because most of you would not get this disclaimer at any other church um because the reality is uh, many pastors don't approach this subject uh, with a high level of integrity. So can I give all the disclaimers so that y'all don't send me no emails and so that y'all don't skip church for the next few weeks? All right. All right. When it comes to money, everybody say money. money. 
If you don't have it, I'm not talking to you. All right? So ease up. Relax in your seat. Amen. If you don't have it, you know what you got. God knows what you have, and that should scare you enough. So if you don't have it, I'm not talking to you. Number two, we don't do guilt giving here. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so we're not going to try to guilt you into giving money to the church, right? The same way your spouse shouldn't have to guilt you into date night. But if the relationship is right, you should seek opportunities to show your love to them. Amen? Amen. So if you don't want to give, it's probably an issue in your relationship. You need to mature. You don't need to get beat up from an offering, for an offering. Amen? All right. So I ain't going to say that no more for the next few weeks. So y'all need to apply that. Amen. Go back on the podcast. Listen to it again. If you need this disclaimer, Joe, make sure the disclaimer goes on iTunes with the rest of the series. Praise the Lord. Amen. Deliver us from evil. Father, thank you for this time. We pray now that your word be illuminated for our understanding that you show us something through your word, God, that is helpful and beneficial for us. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, in our house, my house, me and my wife's house, uh, we have uh, several iPads, a couple of MacBook Pros, um, that we use to watch TV and you and view most of our media. And because of that, because we got iPads and MacBooks and the internet, uh, we share one large TV in our living room, right? So I, we don't have a TV in our room. Our children don't have TVs in their room because everybody got an iPad. Literally, my children have iPads of their own. Me and my wife got iPads of their own, so we don't feel the need to have TVs in everyone's room. And every now and then, because I'm a good father, or at least I try to be, I give my children the privilege of deciding what it is we're gonna watch on the big TV. So if I ask my daughter, I already know what she's going to wanna watch. She's gonna to wanna to watch Barbie, Super Barbie Spy Squad, some Disney movie with princesses in it. But if I ask Junior, it doesn't matter if no one else wants to watch this particular show. It doesn't matter if he just watched it yesterday. It doesn't matter if everyone's tired of seeing it. If I give Junior the option of what we're going to watch on the family's television, my son is going to want to watch Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Doesn't matter if we just watched it yesterday. It doesn't matter if we just got done watching it an hour ago. If I say, Junior, what do you want to watch? The first thing out of his mouth is going to be Percy Jackson. And he's going to run into his room and get his toy sword and his toy shield. And he's going to want us all to watch Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Now, if you are not familiar with Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, it is a movie that was released in 2010 based on a series of novels written by author Rick Jordan. And it tells the story of a teenager named Percy Jackson who was thrust into a world where the gods and goddesses of Greek mythology are not myths at all, but they are real and they are at war because someone has stolen Zeus's lightning bolt. And so now Percy Jackson is then sent on a quest to find the lightning bolt and return it to Zeus so that he can stop a war 
between the gods. Now, the truth is, both of my children enjoy the movie for the action and for the graphics and for the story. But I often find myself intrigued by the fact that in the story, even on Mount Olympus, there is no peace because there are gods at war. And whether we realize it or not, ladies and gentlemen, we like Percy Jackson are living in a world where there are gods at war. Not the gods of Greek mythology, but rather every single day we are watching the gods of this world. Lust and fame and power and prestige and anger and wrath and bitterness and prejudice and greed go to war against the God of our salvation. Every day we wake up, we are in the middle of a war for our hearts and our minds and our souls to determine which God is going to be the God of our lives. And in the course of this series for the next few weeks, I want to take some time and deal with a war that is being raged in many of our hearts between the God of the Bible and the God of money. Yeah, it is this God that Paul confronts in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing a letter to his son in the faith and protege, a young man by the name of Timothy. And through these writings that we have come to call the pastoral epistles, Paul, who is approaching the end of his life, is hoping to impart some best practices to one of the successors to his apostolic ministry. And when we get to chapter 6, Paul is preparing to close out his letter. But before he says goodbye to Timothy, he stops to give him some instruction on how he and the people he, are le he is leading should conduct themselves as believers in the city of Ephesus. You have to understand now, Ephesus was a major metropolitan city in the ancient world. And Paul knows that young Timothy is probably pastoring people who are well-to-do, people who are entrepreneurs and professionals and wealthy business people. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul has just instructed the church that if their pastors did their job well, then they should pay them well, saying, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That word honor in the Greek means double pay. And so Paul knows that the likelihood was high that both Timothy and his congregation were doing well financially. And as the church grew, that only meant more temptation for them to be enslaved by the God of money. So Paul instructs Timothy to remember that although you may find yourself rich in the church, the church is not the place that exists to make you rich. Neither is it God's obligation to make us rich. But if you are wealthy or rich, which in the biblical context means you have more than what you need to live on, Paul says you have a responsibility to be generous with God and with, e and with each other. Now this flew in the face of culture then and it flies in the face of culture today because we have been programmed to believe that if we have more than what we need, then we need to save and hoard so that we can gain any more even more no matter the cost but Paul knows that this attitude is a snare set by the enemy to keep God's people enslaved to the God of money so before closing out his letter Paul tells Timothy to protect himself and his church from what he calls the love of of money. Now I have to be clear here because Paul is not against money. As a matter of fact, God is not against 
you having money and amassing great wealth. As a matter of fact, if you are right with God, God wants you to have great wealth. God help me. I, I know that flies in the face of what some people think. God is not against money. People take this text erroneously and assert that the love of money is the root of all evil when really what it's saying is the love of money is the source of all sorts of evil acts. Meaning that if you are possessed by a desire to get wealth, you will get wealth at any cost. God is not against you having money, beloved. He's against money having you. God help me. Uh, so Paul says the love of money. Somebody say the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But it is interesting now because the word that Paul uses in the text is a Greek word, uh, philagoria, God help me. Philagoria, uh, which is a compound word made of the two Greek words philos, somebody say philos, meaning friend, and argoros, meaning silver. So this is important because the Bible says to be a lover of money makes you a friend of silver. Why does this matter, Pastor Josh? Because while the love of Christ compels you to become a friend of God, growing closer to God and deeper in your adoration and affection for him, the love of money compels you to reject right relationship with God in favor of becoming a friend of silver, which means that you become obsessed with how you can make and spend money. So what exactly is the love of money? The love of money occurs when we make money an idol or another God by giving it a place in our hearts and minds that should be reserved for God and God alone. Now in our culture today, we have to be clear. This goes beyond just the simple acquisition of money. It goes beyond our desire to gain wealth, but it can be applied to money or anything that money can give us access to like relationships, like prestige, like notoriety or success. Because some of you are sitting in here under the sound of my voice saying, I don't have a problem with money. I don't love money, but you love the stuff that money can get you. And so you are on a chase, not for money itself, but to use money to get something that will make you feel better about yourself. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, you need to be delivered from the love of money. I want you to hear me clearly beloved if you are going to be all that God wants you to be you have to be delivered from the love of money you've got to reject the value system of a culture that is carnal and corrupted and capitalistic a culture that tells you to get more at any cost a culture that tells you to get rich or die trying and you've got to declare to the world and the devil that money is not my God but as for me and my house we're not going serve money we're going to serve the Lord and when our love for things begins to rival our devotion to God we have wandered into idolatry and more than likely that idolatry is the love of money I know y'all ain't gonna say amen but I'm gonna preach this anyhow so then what does the love of money look like number one it is evidenced when my desire for dollars is deeper than my desire to connect with my creator God help me. 
I'm preaching already. Y'all ain't even saying amen. My desire for dollars or the things that dollars can get me is deeper than my desire to connect with the creator. What you got to understand is the thing that you want most is going to determine how you behave. And the reality is many of us won't claim to want more of God, but instead of earnestly pursuing God through prayer and the word or engaging in the life of the local church, our pursuits are driven by our desire for more money and material success. If we would be honest, the majority of our efforts are focused on how we can have more money, more success, more popularity, and more prestige instead of how we can get closer to God and know his purpose and his will for our lives. This is a trick of the enemy because we unknowingly lock ourselves into a cycle of trying to use money and material success to fill a void that only God can fill. We want money or the things that money can get us uh, to fulfill us because we've been trained by a carnal culture to believe that we can, if we can obtain more money, then we can get the things that we want to have and go the places that we want to go and then we'll finally be happy. And yet, no matter how much we get and how much we experience, we still find ourselves wanting more. And the reality is God allows that so that we can realize that money will never fulfill us and what we need is not more money, but it's more of God. God help me. I know everybody's not going to be honest, but is there anybody in the building that can say, preacher, you talking about me because I've gone through so much in my life that I realize I got issues that money can't fix. Come on here. Is there anybody here that can look at your life and say money would be nice. It would answer all things, but it doesn't solve all things. I got problems in my life that money can't fix. Money can't fix my marriage. Money can't fix my relationships. Money can't fix my job. Money can't fix my depression. Money can't fix my suicidal thoughts. Money can't fix the darkness that I fight every night. Come on here, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and Robin Williams and every celebrity that's killed themselves in the last 10 years had money and fame and possessions and wealth, but they still had a hole in their soul that nothing that they had could fill because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in man's heart, which means that there was a hole in your soul, a God-sized hole that only your creator can fill. And the genius of God is that he will allow you to continue to encounter situations that money can't solve until your appetite changes and you begin to understand that what you need is not a bigger paycheck, but what you need is a stronger connection to God. God help me. Is there anybody here who can testify? I know I need more of him because only he can make sense out of the nonsense that is my life. Money can't fix the tears I cry. It can't fix my loneliness. It cannot fix my priorities being jacked up. It can't fix the fact that I don't know what I'm going to do in the next five years because I don't know what on earth I'm here for. It can't fix the fact that I feel like that if I fell off the face of the earth, nobody would miss me if I was gone. Money can't change that. But is there anybody here who can testify I want more of God because if I get God, God will be enough to keep me when money runs out. Oh God. So then my desire for dollars is deeper than my desire to connect with my creator. But then number two, the love of money is evidenced when I attribute my security to my money and not my maker. Uh, yeah. When I attribute my security to my money and not my maker. 
Uh, uh, can, can, can we just be honest? We all family here, right? Can, can, I, can I keep it real? Uh, let, let's have group therapy for just a minute. M many of us, many of us have an unhealthy relationship and affection for money. But if we'd be honest and pull back the layers, we'd see that our circumstances are what forced us into this toxic love affair we have with money. Yeah. We grew up struggling. Watching our parents and grandparents go through hard times. Then when we were grown and on our own, we struggled as adults and we promised ourselves that if we got out of those bad financial situations, we would never revisit that place in our history again. So most of us fell in love with money not because we were greedy, but because we were scared and we wanted to be secure. God help me. I, has, has anyone ever been there? I, I mean, I, I just want somebody to be real with me. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I wasn't trying to be stingy. I just wanted to make sure I was straight. God help me. I, I'm tight with my money because I'm tired of struggling and I want to make sure that I'm not broke no more. God help me. Is there, is there anybody here who knows what it's like? Oh God, to be in college and have to get full off of Vienna sausage and oodles and noodles and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Is there anybody here who's ever had to try to raise a family and feed them and not know where your next meal was going to come from? Has any single person ever called yourself trying to save money and so you barely eating and barely going any place trying to save your gas and you found out that God will bring you out of those situations but you got post-traumatic stress disorder from the years that you were broke so now you're stingy in the present because you don't want to be broke no more which means then that at our core the issue is not greed greed is a symptom of the issue but the real issue is trust. God, help me. Many of us are working and grinding and saving and then turning around and being stingy with God. Because even though we'll never admit it out loud, deep down on the inside, we believe that our money, if we stack enough, can keep us safe. God, help me. This means that we really don't trust God to be God and to provide for our needs. God, help me. Oh, God, I wish somebody would tell the truth today. You're stacking up because you believe that if you stack enough and if you save enough and if you invest wisely enough, that your money will keep you. And the devil loves this because because you will become a slave to whoever or whatever you depend on for safety. Oh God, let me say that again because you didn't hear me. You will become a slave to whoever and whatever you depend on to keep you safe. That's why many of us are slaves to our jobs, slaves to toxic relationships because that's how we pay our bills. So we'll put God on the back burner to work more hours or to entertain that person and we'll listen to the world tell us that we don't need to give our money to the church and if the preacher wants money he needs to go to work like everybody else without understanding
realizing that the devil is using those lies to keep you bound. Now, I know somebody in here is thinking, well, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. My financial plan is working for me. I don't give the church 10%. I don't give my money up there, and I'm still doing good. But you got to understand is that the devil will allow you to do just good enough to keep you in bondage to the idol of money. He will allow you to get by to the place where you believe that you don't need God. That's why he'll allow you to not tie. God, help me. And still let all your bills be paid. Because the grace of God ain't going to curse you. But he's not going to bless you either. God, help me. Oh, God. And you know that if you bless yourself, beloved, you've got to keep yourself. But is there anybody in the building who can believe that God wants more for you than just getting by? God wants to give you more than just paycheck to paycheck living. God wants to give you more than just a little cushion in your bank account. But God says you got to trust me uh, so that I can trust you uh, with more. Uh, because God does not bless who God cannot trust. Uh, if you want God to give you more, uh, then you've got to trust him enough uh, to open up your eyes uh, and release it uh, so that he can give it to you. Uh, oh God, I got to move. Uh, so the reason that the devil wants for us to search for security in money is because the devil understands that our security is only as stable as the thing which we are secured by. And money will always be unstable because no matter who you are, at some point in the economic stream, your money is dependent on another person. God help me. Whether it be your employer, whether it be the stock market, whether it be your clients, your business partners, or the banking system itself, to depend on money is to in essence be dependent on people to make you secure but God is so committed to your development as a disciple that he will allow money to fail you but instead of letting you fall when your money fails he will show himself as the one who keeps you secure God help me is there anybody here now I feel like having church I know we ain't supposed to have church during giving sermons and it's supposed to be bland and cold and didactic and y'all supposed to leave here with a headache but is there anybody here who feels like having church because you can look back over your life and testify that the reason why you never hit rock bottom and if you did the reason you were able to recover is because you had a security blanket whose name is the Lord who always came through for you oh God is there anybody here who knows that it wasn't my money that kept me safe it wasn't my investment strategy that kept me safe it wasn't my client base that provided for me but it was the Lord that did it. Oh God, I know anniversary ain't for another month, but is there anybody here who can just touch somebody and say, God did it. God help me. The reason why I'm here is because God did it. The reason why I made it is because God did it. The reason why my kids got nice clothes and my car look all right and when you come to my house, I got food in the refrigerator and the reason why I'm able to maneuver and do the things I do is not because of me, but everything, yeah, that happened to me that was good God did it the psalmist said it is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes so then you would stop being held hostage by your money if you would catch the revelation that you haven't been kept by your money let me say that again you would stop being held hostage by your money 
when God calls you to be generous, if you would catch the revelation that you haven't been made safe by your money, but you've been made safe by your maker. God, help me. Oh, God, is there anybody here who can testify that he kept you, that he is a keeper, that Jehovah Jireh was your provider, that El Shaddai was your provider, that Jehovah Nisi was your banner, that it wasn't your medical insurance, but Jehovah Rapha was your healer? He kept you. I got to quit. Uh, so then, the love of money, what does it look like? It looks like I have a desire for dollars that's deeper than my desire to connect with my creator. It looks like me seeing my money or me attributing my security to my money and not my maker. So then, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Can I give y'all uh, uh, some free Bible school for a minute? I'm gonna enroll y'all in Bible college for 30 seconds, okay? Uh, stop saying that the love of money is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the love, the philagoria, the friendship with silver, right? is a root, a starting place for all sorts of evil. Now, can I tell y'all, uh, I can deal with a lot of things, right? You might see, as this church continues to grow, you might see leaders around me with a whole lot of issues, okay? Uh, I mean, people that got issues uh, with their flesh and sleeping around, uh, people that got issues with coming to church on time, uh, people that got issues uh, with anger and temper and pettiness and pride and all that. I can deal with a lot of stuff, but one thing I can't deal with for real, and this is a way to get you sat down quick, I can't deal with greedy folk around me. I can't stand people who are always tripping about, worried about, consumed with money. Because if money is all that's on your mind, then you will compromise your morals to get money. How many saved folk you know that are real saved until you introduce money into the equation? And then they want to say little stupid stuff like ministry is ministry, but business is business. No, we're in the business of ministry. You can't separate your practice of godliness from your practice of how you run your money. You can't love God and lie on your taxes and be holy. You can't love God and cheat the system and be a scammer. Oh, oh come on now. Now, if I was talking about prosperity preachers driving Bentleys and helicopters... Y'all would be standing up and shouting and, and waving it down. Don't nobody want the preacher to have money, but when you claim somebody's kid that you ain't birth, so that you can split the money with them, that's okay. But the preacher can't have a helicopter to go 100 miles in between locations. The devil is a liar. Everybody needs to tighten up. And if you love money, if you love money, you will find yourself ready to do all kinds of evil. Oh, come on here. How many of us 
have ever been tempted to lie for a come up? Seen some money that wasn't ours laying out somewhere, but wasn't no wallet around it with no idea in it, so I don't know who it belongs to. So I just say this a blessing, right? And where it starts there, y'all laughing, but I'm trying to help you. Where it starts there, innocently, if you'll steal from somebody you don't know long enough, you'll finally find yourself stealing from somebody you do know. That's why I don't get into business partnerships with people who don't tithe. Because if you'll rob God, you'll rob me. If you don't honor God, eventually you'll dishonor me. Am I helping anybody in the building? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Have you ever heard the proverb, there is no honor among thieves? And there are a lot of thieves sitting in the building today. And I ain't talking about tithing. I'm talking about people who will lie and cheat and steal and scheme to make a financial come up but then come into the sanctuary and lift up their hands like they got holy hands not understanding that you are in sin because you are a slave to money and this goes from the pulpit to the parking lot but to contrast God is not saying that he got a problem with you having stuff God is not saying that he's got an issue with you acquiring wealth, with you having a healthy bank account, with you having a savings plan and a 401k. But what God is saying is that my children need to be consumed with a love for me, which means that their love for me can't be competing with their love for money. So the question then becomes, how do I get delivered from the evil of the love of money? And the answer is in verse 6. Paul says, but godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Can I help you? Paul starts off warning Timothy against false teachers and people who are trying to corrupt the faith. And in verse 5, he says there are those who think that godliness is a means of gain, that they can use uh, the church and the people in the church to become wealthy. And what Paul is saying is in verse 6, he's saying that is not entirely wrong. That in some contexts, like yours, Timothy, if you're pastoring in a large city like Ephesus, you do have the ability and the possibility to get wealthy. But your brother in ministry, Titus, who is in Crete, which is a poor city, is not going to be able to get monetarily rich. But both of you have the capacity to have great gain if you have godliness accompanied by what? Contentment. So then how am I able to be delivered from the evil of the love of money? The answer is simple. I am delivered from the evil of the love of money 
when I decide to be satisfied with God. God help me. I know y'all were looking for something deep. I know you were looking for something revolutionary. Uh, but you can be delivered from the love of money when you decide that God is enough. Oh God. So how, how do I do this? Number one, I got two points and then I'm done. Number one, in order to be delivered from the love of money, I have to reorient my priorities around God's kingdom and not the values of the culture. Yeah, I have to reorient my priorities around God's kingdom and not the values of the culture. God help me. Verse 6 says, but godliness is actually a means of great gain, but only when it is accompanied by contentment. What does this mean, Pastor Josh? This means that in a culture that is shouting at me to secure the bag, to get my money right, to stack my paper, to get my coin, I, 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 I've got to decide to live like God is enough. Now let me help you. This doesn't mean that I don't desire more money, but it does mean that every chance I get, I show the world and the devil that even though I desire to have money, money does not have me. Because if I lose all of my money and can never make any more, God is enough. God help me. I know you don't want to live there. I know we don't want to go there uh, because everybody feels like money makes the world go round. But the Bible says that the foundations of the world are sustained not by money, but by a holy God. And you've got to decide that God is enough. Now, when Paul talks about contentment in verse number six, he is not talking about regular contentment. But he is talking about a contentment that is driven by my assessment of God's value. God help me. Meaning that I know that God is enough. But this is not, as a, not an assertion that I'm making by faith. Right? Because sometimes we've got to make assertions in life by faith. And hope that God proves us right. Okay. You don't hear me. Uh, God's going to heal me. That's an assertion that I make by faith. God's going to fix it. That's an assertion that I make by faith. All of my problems are going to work out the way I want them to. That's an assertion that I make by faith. But when Paul says this contentment is great gain, he is not talking about an assertion that is made by faith. He is talking about something that I've learned by experience, meaning that I know that God is enough, not by faith, but rather because over the course of my life, God has shown himself to be enough. God help me. Let me pause here and have church for a moment. Is there anybody here that can look back over the course of your life and remember when you didn't have enough, when you didn't know enough, when you couldn't do enough, when you couldn't negotiate with the bill collectors anymore and they said they was coming to shut you off and to 
get your stuff and you had to take stuff back to the store. God showed himself to be enough. Has anybody ever had friends walk away from you and relationships fall apart and people say that they were going to love you and leave you and God showed himself to be enough. And what Paul is saying is I can be content because God has proven himself to be enough. Oh, God, which means that I've got to reorient my priorities around God's kingdom Woo! and not the culture. Because whereas culture says, get more, do more, have more, spend more. Kingdom says, if we have food and shelter, God help me. Therewith we shall be content. That's verse number eight. I know y'all ain't read all the way down. Uh, he says if we have food and shelter, we're going to be content because my priorities now are not centered around what the society says I should have, but my priorities are centered around a holy God. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay. Y'all tired of me. Number two. Number one, I have to reorient my priority around God's kingdom and not the values of the culture. But then number two, and I'm through. I must recategorize money, not as something that comes to me, but as something that flows through me. God help me. Oh God, it's gonna make you mad, I know. Money is not something that comes to me, but it is something that is intended to flow through me verse 7 says for we have brought what nothing somebody say nothing into the world so we cannot take anything everybody say anything out of it either when you leave this life you will leave it with exactly what you brought in it the Egyptians did not understand this the the, the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians did not understand this principle. That's why when pharaohs and people of great wealth were buried in Egypt, they would be buried with all their possessions. Even men with multiple wives would have their wives prematurely killed and mummified with them because they believed that they could take possessions from this life into the next life. But what Paul is saying is you've got to understand the same way you came in when you were born. God help me. Oh, you're going to leave that way when you die. It does not matter what you have on you. You're going to to leave with what you came in with oh God my son right now uh, has on a gap button up and some Levi 501 jeans and some Nike Hirachis on his feet but on January 28th 2016 when he was born he wasn't born with a gap button up on he was not born with Levi 501's on he wasn't born with Hirachis on his feet but he came here in what grandma and them would call his birthday suit God help me which means that everything that he needed to have in this life had to be provided for him after he was born because he did not have the capacity to bring anything other than himself into the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? And what God is saying is that you don't have the ability to bring anything in and you can't take anything out. So whatever you receive is not for you. It's for somebody else. Ooh, I know you don't want to hear this. But this is one of the constant themes of the Christian life. We are living a life that is not about us, which means that God will bless us 
and he will give us things. But when God blesses us, it is never for us, but it's so that we can get his blessings to other people. And many of us are living under closed heavens because we're living with closed hands. Because God doesn't release heaven's resources to people who he can't trust to release heaven's resources into the earth. But if you can be generous, if God can trust you to be a giver, he will be generous to you because he promised to give seed to the sower. God help me. That means that I can let money flow through me generously because I am standing on the promise that God will never let a giver run out of seed. God help me. I I know that, that people make you feel like that if you keep giving your money and if you keep helping people and if you keep being generous that you're going to end up on the short end of the stick. But is there anybody in the building who's a giver that can testify that God won't let you run out? God help me now. Now this shout ain't for everybody. This shout is not for everybody in the house because everybody doesn't have this spirit to give. But is there anybody here that's given until it hurts and you actually got to the place where you were worried that you weren't going to be able to make it and that you weren't going to be able to maintain and you weren't going to be able to survive. But somehow or another, God sent blessings out of nowhere. People that you didn't even know. Places that you didn't expect because the word of the Lord is, God help me, that givers won't run out of seed. Do me a favor now. I feel like preaching. Have church with me and just touch somebody and say you won't run out. God help me. Oh God, that's the wrong neighbor. That's the wrong neighbor because if that was the right neighbor, they would have shouted because they look like they're running out. Things might look like you're about to be out. It might look like your bank account is on Ian, like you're over in the negative, but the word of the Lord is if you're a giver, you won't run out. That's my time. Can I close it like this? So then, y'all sit down. I got to close. Uh, so, so, not only that, not, not only that, but in verses 17 through 19, here it is. Uh, oh, God, I feel that in my spirit. You won't run out. In, in verses 17 through 19, Paul then gives Timothy some specific instructions for those in the church who had more than what they needed. He tells them to be generous with their money and to be willing to share. Why? Verse 19, so that they can store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. God help me. So then in verse 7 and 8, Paul tells us that there is no point in being stingy on earth because you didn't bring it with you and you can't take it with you. But in verses verses 17 through 19, Paul is saying that if you decide to live generously on earth, you may not be able to take treasure with you. But you can send treasures ahead of you. God help me. Now this is not good news for the person who is living their best life down here. This is not good news for the person that is so focused on life on earth that they forget that there is a here after here. Oh God, this is not for the person that is living just to have the most out of this life. But if you plan on going to heaven, you can't afford to try to store up everything down here. You need some treasure up there. God help me. Oh 
oh God, but can I press it even further? And I'm done now. Paul is not simply talking about heavenly blessings that await the righteous, but Paul is giving a spiritual principle. He's teaching us that if you give in the realm that you can see, God help me, God then will go to work on your behalf in the places that you can't see, God help me. That if you give your money in the natural, God goes to work for you in the spiritual doing things that money can't buy. This beloved is the act of faith. This shows us then that money might be the seed, but it may not be the harvest. And this flies in the face of our culture because culture teaches us that money for money is a fair exchange. And the prosperity preacher wants you to believe that if you give money that God will give you money in return. But in the economy of heaven, God returns our blessings to us based on the kind of need, not the kind of seed. God help me. And I'm glad about it because that means that I can expect my sown seed to return to me as met need. God help me. Oh, you didn't get it. Let me run that back for you. God then returns our seed based on need, not on the kind of seed, which means that when I give, I can expect sown seeds to return as met needs. God help me. Oh, God, tell somebody it might leave your hand as money today, but it's coming back as whatever you need. It might leave your hand as a $10 bill, as a widow's mite, as a crinkled up dollar, as your hamburger money but it'll come back to you as joy, as peace, as a sleep-filled night. God, help me. Is there anybody here? Come on, let me preach to some real folk who can say, I got a good job. I'm an entrepreneur. My needs are met. I got needs that money can't buy. But God said that if I release the idol of this world, the love of money, then he'll return it to me. Oh, God, as whatever I need. This is why then you are able to give with joy that doesn't make sense. This is why you're able to be a cheerful a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek is hilarion. It's where we get the English word hilarious. We are able to be hilariously joyful givers. Lord help me. Because we understand that when we are generous God releases money to us to use us to meet someone else's need. And when the money is gone we're inviting God to step in and come through for each one of us. And I want to tell somebody, God never misses an invitation to come through for you.